You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, a conversation between audience member and artist designed to demystify the classical music and opera experience. If you enjoy the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, and really, who wouldn't, please consider supporting it for as little as $2 a month. Visit patreon.com forward slash thoroughly good to pledge your support. As I record this introduction, there is a need for real-world context. This podcast episode has been recorded in the week that saw the Queen give an address to the nation and Prime Minister Boris Johnson be moved into an intensive care unit amid worsening symptoms of COVID-19. At the point of publishing the episode, at the end of the same week, Johnson has been moved out of that ICU and onto a general ward. These in itself would be unusual pieces of news, yet in amongst a global pandemic they've acquired a surreal kind of everydayness about them. There is, it seems, nothing unusual about these things. They might even have been inevitable. Closer to home, I've started work on reviving the overgrown flower beds in my garden. I've watched YouTube videos on how to best edge your flower bed. I've also joined an online queue at a DIY store, which took half a day to get to the front of, only to discover that the things I wanted to order and collect, compost, fertiliser and summer bulbs are all sadly unavailable. Whilst this may not seem terribly important given the scale and impact of the disease we're all of us trying to grapple with, it is the little often painfully middle class things which ram the point home. By week four this lockdown thing is both normal and familiar just as it's weird and suffocating. And to heighten the discombobulation even further it's Easter weekend meaning It takes three or four seconds to fathom out what day of the week it is. I'm normally okay with Easter weekend. Concert halls closing seem like a distant memory. So too the sense of loss that it brought about for people like me and more importantly for those who earn a crust playing in them. Just as far away too is the idea of when this might end and when what used to be normal life returns. Last week I reckon that might be July. Now I'm beginning to wonder whether it might even be after Christmas. And just today, I found myself getting embroiled in a testy exchange with a colleague defending the classical music world in the face of criticism that it was exclusive and judgmental. Hearing that point and experiencing the feelings that go with it was like being catapulted back in time, long before any of us had even heard of COVID-19. In amongst all of this current weirdness then, I noticed that my musical expectations have changed, my needs have changed, My resilience has seen me spring back. I'm not so much keeping a distance on difficult emotions, but actively seeking out joy. And that's important. 
because being able to determine what people might need right now, an observation which in itself often starts from identifying what we need as individuals, is what will sustain creatives in the coming months. The music I respond to has widened then. I now need something that can no longer console, but nourish. Debussy's Sweet Bogomask is a good starting point if you're looking for a recommendation. I find I need to be lost in a soundscape or a musical argument. I want to feel musical textures. I want to go on a musical excursion, a sort of bank holiday musical treat, a vacation, a trip to a faraway land. Shanghai Symphony Principal Horn Player Peter Solomon features in this podcast with music that kind of does that. It's music by Bach, Lennon and McCartney, Richard Strauss, Brahms and Shostakovich. Melodic lines that don't distract so much as revitalise with reflection, colour, joyous abandon, yearning and beauty. And in the case of Lennon and McCartney, it is a memory. This music doesn't make me mourn, nor does it flirt with me with false hope. It is music that celebrates living in the moment. A tough ask, but a necessary one for all of us right now. I'm Peter Solomon, and I'm the principal horn of the Shanghai Symphony Orchestra. I don't want to get uh, our, our, I don't want to get our exchange off to the wrong uh, the wrong start. But am I right in thinking that the Shanghai Symphony Orchestra played in the Proms last year? Yeah, we did. We did uh, either end of August or maybe beginning of September. And I think, if I remember correctly, you did a Sunday morning concert, and you ended the concert yes. with a Beatles medley. That's correct. Yeah, that was the encore. <laughs> Um, which was which was quite the most remarkable moment. I was there with a friend of mine, uh, and I remember uh, sitting next to her. And when they started play- when he started playing the encore, we both looked at each other as much as to say, um, "Okay, okay." Um, <laughs> not not entirely sure this is the great, greatest choice, but something really weird happened in that performance because there was a there was quite a lot of surprise at the beginning of it, and then by the yeah. end of it. I think it was I think it had Hey Jude in it. I think we started with a traditional Chinese song and it sort of morphed into Hey Jude and then we played that out, um, you know, which which was definitely bizarre to have that sort of switch in the middle. Uh, but it, it, it definitely worked. I mean, the audience seemed seemed like they loved it, you know, um, especially on, it, especially so. on a Sunday morning. It seemed a really bizarre yeah. thing to be hearing on a, on a Sunday morning. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I was I was surprised when we we uh, first decided to program that, and then it, it really worked. So um, it was a lot of fun. I just need to readjust my microphone stand. Hang on a moment. Do you can you give me a sense of how important it was for the Shanghai Symphony Orchestra to be at the proms? I mean, I think it was it was a you know just a great moment for us. Uh, for me, you know, it was my first time. Um, you know, everyone was excited uh, in the orchestra. You know, we've we've been doing more and more high profile uh, concerts and, and festivals. We've done Lucerne a few times and. Um, on that particular tour, we had we had hit a lot of a lot of places, Ravinia and Wolf Trap in the States and then uh, Edinburgh. And, you know, I just um, I assume institutionally it was really important, but I can just say for me, it was just a thrill to be at the proms. That was just really fun. For me, the proms is something that that I've always had in my uh, annual experience. And so to a certain extent, I suppose I take that I have taken that for granted. I'm wondering uh, what an external perspective is like. Why is it important for somebody like you? Why is it exciting? You know, I think it's the atmosphere. Um, you know, having having the standard. I, I don't I don't know what they're called. Uh, you know, what the right word is for everyone standing in the center in the middle and then up up in the the gallery. Um, you know, I think just just um, it's it's a really unique atmosphere. Um, I love how excited the audience is for it. Um, you know, and then there's also the history. Um, I think as a musician from anywhere, you're really aware of, of that kind of a history. And then certainly being there, being backstage where they had uh, photographs, you know, every few few feet, different pictures from or different um, drawings from the history of Royal Albert Hall was really, really neat. Yeah, and it's a range. I think that's what surprises me every time I go to the Albert Hall that, you know, I think of the Albert Hall as as classical music but actually it is a full range of events uh which happens uh the other side of of the proms that always surprised me and that's reflected in the pictures backstage um yeah i i know i can i can see what you mean you are you are based in shanghai at the moment i yes. mean you are you are staying in shanghai at the moment yeah yeah uh-huh. how long have you been locked yeah. down well i'm a little uh, so I've been back about three and a half weeks. Um, so I missed the main part of the lockdown because uh, my wife and I, I'm from New York and or New Jersey. I have family in Jersey and, uh, and in New York. And so we had a, my family had a trip scheduled uh, right around, right for Chinese New Year to go back. Uh, my brother had a baby. We were going back to meet the new baby. And it just so happened that the trip, coincided with you know three or four days after they announced that the virus was spreading uh from person to person so we you know we we flew anyways uh, it seemed at the time like it was a good thing to do you know good luck that we were getting getting away from china and getting uh to the u.s given what was going on and it, once we were in the u.s is when when they really shut everything down um you know, and, and the shutdown was mostly limited, strict, was mostly strict in Wuhan and Hubei, which is the surrounding province. Shanghai, Beijing, the, the other cities, they never got to quite that level of enforced quarantine. From what I understand, people could still go out and take walks and, and things like that. But certainly the city itself was really shut down. 
Um, and I missed most of that because we were we were in the U.S. for this for the trip, the previously scheduled trip, and then our flight got canceled, and um, work, you know, was was on holiday for uh, the the Chinese New Year for what they call Spring Festival. Um, for both my wife and myself, but then it seemed like it was going to get canceled further. So we, we extended our stay. We stayed in the U S for quite a while longer. And then when it started, um, spreading, having community spread in the U S we realized, Oh, we got to get back to China. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be bad here. Things are settling down in China. And we also kind of realized that after up to a certain point, they weren't going to, the Chinese were not going to allow foreigners back in. It was just sort of a question of how much time before that happened. So we decided to get back um, on the sooner side, and we we came back to China at the beginning of March. So you have actually then, it strikes it strikes me that you have a, a really unique perspective because you have escaped it. You've escaped the full impact of it in in a way. Yeah, we have twice now. Um, and again, part the first time, especially, was just kind of luck. The way that we we had booked our our tickets, and then coming back was was planned. Was you know, it was a a, a real. We knew we needed to get back. Uh, we wanted to get back, and if we wanted to get back, we had to do it on the sooner side. So we did that. Came back, and then we had a two week quarantine um, at home, and um, that was I don't know, maybe a week week and a half ago. So the city is really not in lockdown anymore. Uh, you can go out, restaurants are open, uh, shops are open, you know, no, no big gatherings or big venues are open. Uh, the few tourist sites opened briefly and then were shut down again. You know, so we're still sort of in lockdown. I mean, we're, we're not really going out and doing very much. But we're, uh, you know, we, we, we could do more if, if we wanted to. Uh, what has what has the experience been like? Has it been, you know, I know how how it has been for me, uh, and I don't consider myself to be massively effective. Uh, <laughs> there's a joke, <laughs> massively affected. Um, if anything, I have become busier because of uh, the knock on effect of of working in the digital world. But I wonder whether at any point. Uh, you know, I talked to lots of other musicians, and they explain how uh, obviously their concerts have been cancelled. Their their livelihood is under threat. I, I wonder whether have you have you experienced any of the the emotional impact of of this crisis, even if you haven't the physical aspects of it. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, the emotional aspect for me, uh, let's say for my family, has been more just the threat to our loved ones and and people we care about. You know, first starting out with uh, with China, you know, so when we had left and then, you know, we didn't when we went to the U.S., we, we didn't really understand the seriousness of it. You know, we knew there was a virus spreading and that they had just announced it could be person to person. Um, we wore masks on the the flight to the U.S. like most most uh, people in China did. But we didn't quite understand and then you know being in new york and and really sort of far removed from our friends and in in shanghai all all over china you know we started to read about the lockdowns and see pictures of the the deserted streets so you know that was sort of the first i guess emotional impact um 
and then it's just been sort of building from there. Uh, but then the, one of the next epicenters was in Daegu, South Korea, which was where I had my first orchestra job. So, you know, I was concerned for people there and then, you know, sort of morphing slowly and, and slowly into Italy and, uh, Europe. And now, now in New York, which is where most of my family is, um, you know, my, my mother's a doctor, so she's working at, um, a hospital with a lot of the COVID patients. Um, so it's mostly, uh, fearful impact um about loved ones friends family for you know our livelihoods um i don't know if this is china wide or or not i think it is but uh you know we're both my wife and myself are still getting getting paid by our companies um sso has canceled all of its performances which has been you know quite sad i had a uh, chamber music recital canceled. I was really looking forward to things like that, but um, we're not really facing the sort of financial ruin yet that um, other people are. So it's been more limited from from that point of view. And you know, of course, I miss playing quite a bit, but it's you know, I think a small sacrifice to make to have a few months of of no concerts, um, you know, for the greater good. Uh, what are you spending your time doing? So we're we're with our kids a lot. Um, my uh, son is is eight. My daughter's six, and um, we're actually doing a lot of um, time with their school. You know, so they've been they've been on e learning since earlier than than most kids in Europe or the U.S. Just because um, you know they had a a two week vacation for the Chinese New Year, and then from uh, beginning or middle of February, it was into this new digital online learning. Um, and given how young they are, you know, it's not like we can just set them in front of the teacher's lessons and let them, uh, let them go. So we've been pretty much every morning to afternoon. Um, I'll take one and my wife will take the other and we'll sort of work through, um, their assignments and, uh, whatever the teachers left for them to do that day. I'd say that's the most of it. You know, with the rest of the time, we're trying to get some work done. I'm trying to practice. Um, so you're still you're to, still practicing. You, you're still you're still doing daily practice. You you haven't sort of experienced any resistance doing that. Yeah, I mean, at first, I had planned to take about a week off, anyways, for the vacation, um, and that 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 sort of grew into much more time. I think initially it was really hard, you know, emotionally to just sort of wrap my head around what was going on and, you know, trying to get the kids into a routine and see family and, and that sort of thing that really took up time. So I would say it was a good three or four weeks before I really could get back into practicing on a more consistent basis. Um, which is probably for me, like the longest time in my life since I started studying music that I've, I've taken off. So I think that was really hard at first. Um, but now that we're back, back home and we're in a routine that's been much easier to sort of maintain uh you've brought uh or rather i've asked you for four different uh works where all pieces of music which have supported you uh during this time mm -hmm. it's a i've been asking of lots of other musicians because i've been interested in understanding uh 
how we connect with music at this really weird moment in time when our emotions are certainly this is a reflection of me when our emotions are really heightened um and but it sounds as though maybe your emotions aren't quite so heightened as the other ones are uh but that being said uh which which one do you want to pick out first um well, I, I would say I, I think my emotions are are pretty heightened. I, I mean, I'm, I'm you know I think I'm pretty intense with things. I think the difference is I'm a little bit further along the process than than most people from Europe or from the U.S. Uh, just because it started earlier for us from an emotional point of view, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so there's hope then. There's hope for us. That's what that's presumably judging yeah, by the calmness in your I, voice. I, I mean, to, to be quite honest, when I see what's happening in the U.S. and sort of, you know, with most of my family in, in the New York or New Jersey area, I, I almost get more emotional because um, it's been something of a disaster with how uh, at least the U.S., but I'd say a lot of the Western world has, has responded to this. So, you know, when I when I sort of read more about it and think more about it, in some ways, it's even more of an emotional impact that way. Um, but anyways, back to back to your question. Um you know, I think I think start with the Bach. I think the 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 Bach cello suites are. I don't know. It's something that I always turn to when I'm sort of really emotionally drained, or um, you know, in a darker place. I just think there's a, a solace there, um, and a complexity which which just can't be verbally explained so well. What does the complexity provide you with? I understand what you mean by that, uh, and I and I have a hunch that we probably experience those cello suites in the same way uh, because of that complexity. Mm. For me, it's it's there's detail there that can distract me and and provide me with focus that perhaps I I don't get in other areas of my life at the moment. But that might be different for you. No, I think that's a a good way of of putting it. I, so, I mean, I, I I feel like I sometimes have trouble, you know, articulating my thoughts on music. It's sometimes I'll, I'll tell my wife uh, she'll ask what I feel about a certain piece, and I'll I'll try to explain, and I'm, I'm like, I don't know, just 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 listen listen to me <laughs> trying to play it. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's the reason it's music. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
so I'll, I'll do my best with it, but um, it's just, you know, it's always a piece, you know, when I've had um, a close family member die or um, a, a really, you know, significant emotional experience, I always find myself coming back to the cello suites and um, it just somehow feels just cathartic, both listening and also playing it. Um, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's always much better when a, a cellist plays it, but you, you can <laughs> sort of get, get through them on horn. Um, and so I, I do try to do that, um, I think, as a way of working through some of those emotions. Uh, so he chose the right instrument, that's what you're saying, that it's better on the cello than it is on the horn. <laughs> right. uh, where, oh, yeah. where, which in particular, which one of the, the six would you, would you particularly pick out? Or are you um, are you are you someone who goes no I'm starting at the I'm starting at the beginning I'm going to finish at the end I need to hear all of them. <laughs> no, I, I I think I sort of jump around a little bit. Um, certainly when I'm practicing, I'll, I'll jump around a little bit. But um, probably number two stands out the most. Um, I'm not quite sure if I could articulate why, but it's just when I find myself in in this kind of a state and I. I want to listen to something or I want to play something to sort of experience that kind of um, help with it. Thank you. 
I wonder whether it's the same um, same for me that, and here I'm going to, it will sound like it's a non-secretive, but I um, I worked with somebody who recommended that I listen to, uh, I worked with somebody on a, on a um, jazz station, jazz radio station, okay. and, and he recommended that I um, listen to uh some landmark jazz recordings and then write an article about uh, write some some copy in response to his his call to action sorry that's what we we talk about in radio terms i'm very sorry it's a very cold way of describing (laughs) things but but essentially he recommended that i listen to um kind of blue from 1959 uh miles davis and a whole host of other artists who i can't remember and i won't pronounce um and and every time, every time I, I mean, I must now have listened to it in the space of a week, seven or eight times, and it has to be end to end. I have to hear it end to end. And when I start, I feel as though I am going on some kind of monumental journey, um, different from a symphony, uh, different from a song cycle, but going on a journey. And I have to hear all of it. And I've, it's not that I've escaped and that I'm being. Um, taken to a place that is otherworldly and nothing like the world I'm in at present. Uh, it's just that uh, somehow this music is making sense of what is going on around me without doing so explicitly. It's very strange. And I'm wondering whether in explaining that, the effect of Kind of Blue on me this week, whether that's sort of similar to what these cello suites are doing for you. Uh, yeah, I think you said it uh, much better than I could have. But yeah, I think that's a, a really great, great description, and that that sort of really matches how how it feels for me when I'm I'm listening to them. Um, you know, I think one of the you know wonderful things that's happened through this, you know, and most of what's happening right now is is very far from wonderful, but is is what people have been posting online. Um, you know, many many musicians that I know. Um, either personally or, or not even, I'm just, just fans of, you know, are posting um, recordings of themselves playing a wide variety of things. Um, you know, and and um, at the first part of our tour that finished with the, the proms this past summer, um, our cello soloist was Lisa Weilerstein, and she's been doing a box cello suite a day uh, that I see on, uh, on Facebook. You know, and that's been really, really great just to uh, you sort of, you know, be clicking around and then to come across that and listen to it, it sort of really provides a lot of relief um, and just sort of emotional catharsis, mm. you know, in the midst of all of this, um, you know. And so I think that's been just a wonderful aspect to have started coming out of this crisis is just the the sharing of music from, you know, a variety of different, of different sources. And for, and for me, that's one I've really gravitated towards. Yeah. There is, a, there is a sort of a poetry about it really that, that for me in the, in the world that I occupy, I, I feel as though over the past 10 years, the, the argument about how do we get more people into the concert hall? How do we get more, more people to, to really appreciate uh, classical music? Right. Are they frightened of the concert hall? Blah, blah, blah. And yet here we are two weeks in and musicians are no longer able to play in the concert hall. And suddenly the internet is awash with musicians playing music that is, is consoling and providing people with solace. Uh, and it feels as though there's this, this thing has 
I don't want to say exposed, that's not really the right word, but it has brought to the fore all of this joy. Uh, and I'm hoping that maybe more and more people who wouldn't otherwise have considered it have gone, I get that. I see how that helps. I I want to hear more of it. Yeah, no, for sure. That's um, That has been wonderful. And, you know, I think, who knows how long this will last, but whenever all is said and done, you know, I I hope that that can translate into getting people to the concert hall because you know I think we need uh, what what live music provides right now, and I think we'll especially need it when we're in the aftermath of of this. And I don't know if everyone even realizes it yet, but I I, I hope I could see a future where you know people who might have stayed away from the concert hall might be in, enticed to come in and then in so doing realize how important and how how needed especially at a time like this um live live, live music is um the next thing that's on your I'm going to be rather selfish and just choose the next thing and then you can choose the next <laughs> one <laughs> um it's uh, it's Brahms 2 uh, which yes. when I listen back to it again, because I had to familiarise with it, I'm, I sort of wonder whether I'm not surprised that you chose it because it begins with a horn cue. <laughs> Is that why? Uh, <laughs> Are you making this all about no, you? I, I mean, I was- Honestly, it's more the second movement. Um, <laughs> right, okay, you know, it's more. The, it's more the cellos. I don't know why I keep coming back to cellos, but uh, it's it's more the cellos when they they open the second movement. Um, although the second movement does have a, a great horn horn solo in it as well. So, um, but it is absolutely you're, you're leading on the cellos. You're not leading on the horn. Just to, just so that we're we're clear. Yes. I, I did almost put uh, the Brahms Horn Trio instead because I think it's a similar, like I get a similar feeling and reaction from um, parts of that piece. But I, I did decide to go with the symphony because uh, sometimes uh, the the power of that many musicians together I think um, can really enhance the enhance the moment. Could I? Sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, could I just for the the purposes of the the conversation this will sound a bit weird but can i just remind myself of the opening of i just want to play a bit of it uh i will obviously edit this out because i don't want to embarrass myself (laughs) (laughs) um uh okay because i just want to hear the solo again i don't know whether this will work oh it does
can you uh, this may seem odd can you describe the qualities of that melody the very opening you mean at yeah. the second movement yeah Um, I mean, it's, it's, for me, it's just pure beauty, um, the, the register that it's in, um, the way it's moving downwards and there's, there's, um, I don't know, there's a soulful quality. It's, it's hard to quantify, but, um, you know, I just sort of think it's, it's extremely reflective, um, and sad, but, but not, you know, overwhelming sadness. It's not um, like a slow movement of Tchaikovsky Five or something. It's it's um, mixed in in with I think a little bit of um, of hope and elegance. Yes, I think, and the reason for asking that is because I'm trying, in listening to more and more music uh, right now, I'm trying to get a sense of what it is about that, you know, what are the mechanics of that particular melody or that that setting which speak to me. In in an earlier podcast, I had, I had hit upon the music of Percy Granger. This is going back, I think I'm right in saying, two weeks ago. And, and the music of Percy Granger and Vaughan Williams, for me, was rooted in... in f- folk song in english folk song which which i found really appealing and really um really reassuring at that moment in time um uh when i hear the brahms when i hear that solo i i hear um i hear nobility and strength and uh resilience and and i'm yeah. trying to i'm trying to get i'm trying to get to uh and you may be able to help me you may not uh, i'm trying to get to what it is? What what are the characteristics of that melody that make me think that? Um, it it feels as though it's very simple and and very authentic and sincere. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I'll. I don't know if if I can help too much. Again, like it's um, just articulating it is is hard. Um, at least for me. And that's um, the second time you said that, you, and you I'm know, pushing you anyway. You, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, you know, you know how it feels. I mean, you know, it makes you feel a certain way, and it, it, you know, you have to process your emotions a certain way during a, a time like this. And uh, I don't know when something matches, you you know that it does. Hmm. Um, I, I don't know how to say what it is about the melody in particular. Um, but it's something that I, you know, I'll, I'll return to even just in my head if I'm feeling a, a certain way. And, you know, and it's, it's not 
necessarily just the, the horn line, which comes a little bit later after the um, the introduction, but um, is really just that that opening, the first few bars. Do you recall when you first heard it? Oh, I probably would have been in high school. Um, I recall when I first played it, which was my senior year in high school at a community orchestra. Just I sort of subbed in at the last minute because someone was sick. And um, I was way too frazzled to um, really appreciate it then. Um the first time I played it when I had really been prepared for it was when I was a sophomore in college, I think, either freshman or sophomore in college. Um, I did it at Aspen Music Festival when I was a student. Um, you know, and all I really will, will never forget that because I was playing second horn to the principal of the Los Angeles uh, Philharmonic. It was, you know, fantastic. And um, David Zimmerman was conducting, and it was really my first time playing in a real an orchestra with with professionals it's not a professional orchestra because uh, it's mostly made up of students but at that festival the principal players are are all um really top-notch professionals so that was really i i, I will always remember that that was experience there, with the piece was there pressure did you do you recall experiencing pressure in that I, I performance mean, yes yes but i mean you know in some ways i think uh, as a horn player you Anytime you play, there's pressure because um, the instrument can be so finicky. So, uh, yeah, for sure, there was a ton of pressure. Um, but it wasn't necessarily more or less than uh, other moments. What a spectacular work to, to sort of have as, a, as an early memory. Because um, yeah. I'm, I'm also sort of struck by how these really important, these really important works that, that, uh, that touch us are linked to, in a, in a neurolinguistic way, to that they act as anchors. Uh, they act as NLP anchors, um, and and can capture um, really important moments in our lives in quite a spectacular way, um, which is leads me on nicely. I have to say, even I'm surprised by my own ability to do this, um, and I am going to choose the next one. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm really sorry. Um, uh, is uh, yeah, I realise that yeah, technically I'm breaking my own rules, uh, but um, Shostakovich five. Uh, and you've picked out yep. inevitably a Shanghai Symphony Orchestra. You've been quite particular about this because it says in brackets specifically. starters so we we played it at the lucerne festival three years ago so this past summer we were at lucerne we did the rock modern off that we did in london so it would have been two years before that 
Um, and there's a DVD of it. It was a live recording DVD. Um, and, and finally, um, I don't know, about a, a few days ago, I, I was able to listen to it. Um, and I've had the DVD for a few months and then I couldn't find it and then, you know, got busy. So, um, I hadn't actually been able to listen to the performance. Um, and I, I sort of picked that one just as much for the experience as I did for the music. I mean, of course the Shostakovich is a, a powerful piece. Um, but you know, the experience of playing it in Lucerne, um, was really extraordinary. Uh, it was my first cycle on that piece, uh, playing principal horn. So it was the second time I'd played it. The first time was in Shanghai, just, um, before we left. Um, and that was really high pressure. The camera guy was sitting right next to me. Um, you know, you really knew it was being, um, live broadcasting. And I, I, I am, I didn't hate how it sounded. So, um, <laughs> That's <laughs> wow. Um, so you did a good job then. You know, is that what you're saying? <laughs> uh, you know, close enough. But um and then I I I my understanding is the orchestra's been reinvited to Lucerne um not this coming summer but the summer after. So it's it's really I chose that specific DVD just, you know, because it both reminds me of um a great moment from the not too far distant past and also what I hopefully have to look forward to in the not too distant future. Is there any particular movement that, that, that speaks to you? Um, you know, honestly listening to it, um, I was really taken by the third movement, which I think maybe when I'm performing it, um, I'm still so so relieved about you know getting through the first movement, which um, has a couple diff- difficult spots, and then you know trying to focus up um, for the fourth movement that I don't appreciate it as much in the moment. But um, listening back to it, the third really stuck out this this past time. Um, normally, though, I would say I love the first. It's just the way it opens; it's just really hauntingly beautiful. Um, the very first uh, horn entrance is um, again. I just love the sound that you can get from that, and that that people get when they play it. Um, you know, and there's just so many really fun moments to play. Um, you know, from the sort of the the low horn tank section to the um, the really screaming fortissimo, um, and then you know, sort of more finishing up towards with the flute horn duet um, towards the end and then the violin solo um, really towards the end. That Just all of that is just, um, you know, really musical highlights as far as a performer goes, I think. It was my first uh, piece of proper orchestral music I played uh, in youth orchestra uh, and I remember receiving, nice. the, uh, receiving the parts and looking at the parts and thinking, I have never seen anything written out like this ever before and it looks terrifying uh, and i didn't know it and we uh we did a um we did a playthrough at had the first rehearsal and it was inevitably awful we were only teen- teenagers and um by the time we had played it at the end of our youth orchestra tour it was i mean i think it was absolutely fantastic it was probably not very good at all but um uh, i i remember it being 
utterly theatrical and every time I listen to it it seems perfectly formed you know everything is compelling and uh it's not you know there's just enough peril there's just enough jeopardy and and therefore there's just enough um uh resolution at the end without it being too twee it's um i i think it's i think it's perfect i love it um and it works yeah. well right now i think emotionally it works well right now especially the especially the third movement The, no, it's, the, it's a wonderful piece. The, the, the horn concerto, Strauss's horn concerto number two, I didn't know at all. Mm -hmm. So I need you to sort of explain that for me, introduce it for me. You know, so you know, so Richard Strauss, his, his father was a very famous horn player. Um, he was Wagner's favorite horn player, even though he hated Wagner's music. <laughs> and so Strauss wrote the first horn concerto when he was a kid, maybe 17 or 18 um and he wrote it for his father and you know of course horn features prominently throughout all of his music but he didn't write another concerto again until uh the 1940s and so then he wrote the second one in i think the early 1940s
um, you know, and it's it's a wonderful piece. It's um, you know, there's some echoes from his first concerto, which is you know, obviously a very different style, much mm. more youthful. Mm. Um, and there's you know, it really you, you get sort of all the best of Strauss, sort of his playfulness, his lyricism, um, you know, the beautiful sounds from the instrument, and he really knew how to write for the horn very well. Um, it's really one, it's one of my favorite concertos. I've never, I've never played it with an orchestra, but it's on my to-do list for sure. Uh, you know, and the, the one thing that I've sort of struggled to understand with it, which you could say for a lot of Strauss around that period is, you know, he wrote just such a, a beautiful lyrical piece and, you know, it's in the middle of world war two. And, you know, it's, of course, if you listen to the music, you don't know anything about the time period going on. You know, it's, it's wonderful music. Uh, you know, it's fantastic music and that, that shouldn't either add or take away from it. But I've always sort of wondered, you know, how could he be writing such beautiful melodies and, and, um, you know, so this is in, the, in that kind of a style in the midst of such a disaster, uh, in the midst of such a, a horrible time period. Um, you know, and I think sort of listening back to it now, I don't know want to say I understand. I think that would be a bit too, too strong of a word, but I mean, getting to understand the idea of, okay, you can be in this horrible, very emotional, intense time period with, with a lot of, of fear and, and anguish going on and still sort of crave and need that kind of just pure beauty and lyricism. So that's sort of why I put that on the list. That's really interesting. I'd had a similar a similar conversation with a, with a writer friend of mine who um, – there's lots of writers who are on Twitter who are pushing back uh, and saying, you know, <laughs> no, this is not a creative opportunity for, for a lot of us. Actually, for a lot of us, it's a bit of a struggle. And the <laughs> idea that we would sit down and now suddenly start bashing out loads of loads of copy just because we're all in crisis mode. It is not like that. That's not how it works. Right. Um, and and it's true. I, I get that that this sort of challenge does create a, a block. Uh, a creative block at the same time i'm also aware that i am seeking out things which yeah in terms of television in terms of drama that i wouldn't normally watch uh and and it's it's a bit like strauss it's a bit like the horn concerto when i hear the horn concerto i hear technicolor music i mean the most glorious technicolor music perfection and 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 just uh I hear something that I never realized that I needed to hear and and it's the same with TV drama and so I I I I get what you're saying that actually in the midst of of crisis and anguish and pain actually some of the most beautiful things can and hopefully will emerge that's that's very interesting I hadn't Right, you've helped me, <laughs> not least because we've recorded a podcast conversation, <laughs> but you have actually helped me. It's like therapy and I haven't paid you, and that's just great. Um, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to tell me that I haven't asked you? Um, I don't know. <laughs> um, 
No, I mean, um, you know, it's it's um, it's been a fun conversation. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I, I, no, no, really, really, you know, it's, it's it's really nice to um, to get to do something like this. Um, you know, especially right now, it's been sort of, um, it, you know, you can get so focused on what's going wrong and and all the troubles and, and everything. It's, it's nice to have a very meaningful break from that. You've been listening to the thoroughly good emergency classical music podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to the episode, please consider supporting the podcast series for as little as $2 a month. Just visit patreon.com forward slash thoroughly good to pledge your support. Thank you.